This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mark Westfall. If you miss any of this, if you can't hang out for the whole talk, you can go back and find these later anywhere you find podcasts under Let's Think On It. It's the name of the podcast. Um, I enjoy that. And every now and then I'll go back. I don't like my own voice, but I'll go back and, and listen to some stuff. And it's good because I there's so much going on in the studio sometimes. I miss things, I think. Um, but no. man, the last one we did, I, 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 don't, I had so many people reach out about it. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Um, all right. Well, what are we talking about? So uh, thanks for having me back, guys. And um, so this time around, we're going to talk about international relations. And you may wonder, mm. as a listener, why is Dr. Westfall talking about international relations? Because right. he's not a political scientist. He's a psychiatrist. So to bring you up to speed a little bit, if you haven't been following along, we've done this kind of series of the psychology of politics starting back last spring. And we talked about from an individual perspective, like the personality of uh, politicians and we talked about the voters and how they dis- make decisions and how it can be biased or unbiased then we moved on to groups and group dynamics which yes. is uh, psychology based and talked about the party system and how that is groups and they act as as such two out groups or two different groups opposing each other uh we talked about some social psychology with jonathan Haidt and the mm-hmm. five basic tenets of morality and how we make decisions and liberal versus conservative and i encourage people to go back and listen to the podcast uh to catch up on all that stuff then we had in the fall we had uh, a, uh why 50 million people voted for trump uh talked about that was yes a trump, uh, we didn't solve supporter. that we did not uh, solve that well, no. i don't know we, we learned some insight into it we realized <clears throat> yes. essentially again that you can't put 50 million people into one group they well, don't can, represent yeah. any one person. I went back and listened to a little bit of that recently, and it was so interesting because that was two days, really one day after. The after. And, you know, to hear, one, what we everyone was thinking at that point is really interesting. I'm glad we have that documented. But, two, a lot of the stuff that was said, it's crazy now, kind of, we didn't know what was going to happen. So much of the stuff has actually happened. It yeah. is fascinating to go back and look yeah. at that kind of timeline thing. It's kind of like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, so now we're going to look at... Um, um, things from a more global perspective and kind of do a, a systems view of international relationships. And I, being a biologist, I kind of think of things in systems. And so I think of, when I think of international relationships, i.e. the relationships between nations, to me the, the global interconnectivity of nations is a system. And one piece of that system can affect the rest of the system or another piece of the system. And I think of it kind of like the body. Okay, mm-hmm. so we have a, this body's a system of organs, and each organ contributes something to the system. And one problems in one organ can affect other organs, even though they're not necessarily next to each other. They're part of the same system. And so there's a systemic effect when there's a problem in one area, it affects another area. That's a great analogy, and I'll be curious as we talk about it to see what what part of the world you would identify as the armpit? I knew um, we'd go to somewhere like yeah. that. I thought you were going to pick another piece of body. I, th- I, you know what? I was, was, was going to go with rectum. Here, I was going to go with rectum at first. <laughs> I was. I didn't know which one of you was going to go there first, but I knew yeah. I knew you were going to go there. Yeah. So it is a great. Analogy. But it is a system, and it and I guess you could argue that it's more and more a system every day as we are in the information age, and travel is so easy, and 
you know, we're, we've never been more connected than we are today, except for tomorrow. We'll be more connected. Well, that's a, yeah, yeah. where are we headed? That's right. a great question. And so, um, so I've got a wonderful guest, Fred Shepard. He's um, professor and chairman of the Department of, of Political Science at Samford University. He's been there over 20-something years. Um, he's done a lot of work in, in a lot of areas of political science, including international relations. Yeah. And so um, I'm going to welcome Fred right on right now, and uh, let's get talking about this system. Great. And let's see what our current administration is uh, influencing over that system. Or, Fred, welcome. Thanks. Great, great to be here. Yeah. So uh, Fred was also, by the way, a previous guest on a podcast. We talked about the Brexit last summer. He did a great oh. job. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I heard a bit of that. I was just yeah, yeah. back from London. So. Oh, yeah, he had just been in London. So it was yeah. interesting. He had some reactions to the whole political uh, thing that was going on in our place at the time between Trump and Clinton and so anyway. Yeah. Uh, so welcome. Thanks. Thanks. So I'm curious, does this analogy of international relations um, being a system hold any water? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you focused in on the fact that, that things on one corner of the globe affect other corners of the globe. Um, and and you, you might think, you know, everything, all the influence comes out from the United States, but we're really deeply affected by other countries that you might not think of as, as really powerful. But on the other hand, it's not quite a system like, say, our American political system is because we don't we on the global level we don't yet have that kind of common power that can knock heads and kind of create a c- coherent political system. It's it's much more fragmented than that. So it's kind of like a body without a, a fully functioning brain, maybe like kind yeah. of like an adolescent. Sure, yeah, yeah, more decentralized than <laughs> there that. There you go. With, <laughs> with, <laughs> with other parts that are not part of the brain yeah, driving not things. Too, not, yeah. not actually following orders. Like That's right. <laughs> Earth, a decentralized adolescent. That's right. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. Now yeah. we know. So that's why you're here. Mm-hmm. We, that's, yeah. why, that's why we think of these things. Yeah. So give me an ex- give us the listeners an example of something that could happen somewhere else that we don't want to think about that actually affects us, us, the U.S. Yeah, and, and we can maybe talk about trade and economics and all that. But I think anytime you look at the environment, uh, that's a, a huge thing. And the and as, as if people <clears throat> would prefer to ignore it, they can, but you can't really ignore it. And there's an article about the crack, the cracking of the. Um, the ice the, shelf yep, and the, the ice shelf. Yeah. Um, you know, the in, environmental activism in Europe really got going when Chernobyl, of all things, in the, the former Soviet system, and you know there was nothing to block that contamination from floating over to Europe. You know, acid rain in in Canada got us mobilized. Um, water management in China affects the people in Bangladesh. So, and, and, and that's a constant theme in the environment, and it's a global problem. And of course, the Brazilian uh, rainforest. And it seems like you've seen articles recently about uh, continuing problems with the uh, nuclear power plant in Japan as yeah. well, um, yeah. and the way that that has, you know, polluted l- a very large area and yeah. continues okay. to. Yeah, and, so, and it doesn't doesn't respect any boundaries. At right, all. and the so, one in so Springfield has been oh, in Springfield the tire fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Fish with three eyes and the whole. Deal. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So aside from the biological aspects of the ecosystem of the world, yeah. which certainly speaks to me being a biologist, right. what about Politically, I mean, yeah. I know some of those are political decisions, but what about more, like you mentioned, trade or, uh, yeah. you know, war or, you know, systems of, of government? Yeah, how, it, how, it, how, why not just look out for yourself, right. really? Um, and that's kind of a road that our, our, our new administration is taking. And I think he'll find out that, for instance, you know, the idea we, we were involved in this kind of foray into to Yemen, and now it didn't go so well, and we did it in kind of a unilateral way. And now Yemen is kind of making 
uh, giving us an idea that we, they might not cooperate with us in the future. And suddenly we see we need to work with these countries. Um, so the, the U.S., the idea in the U.S. is that we're somewhat immune to these influences from outside because we're sort of semi-insular and we're a really powerful nation. So we're less aware of, of the limitations placed on us. But for, for most nations, you know, that's just a constant. The, the political um, control that other nations exert over their fate. And it seems like another interesting question would not only be like, how do we respond or interact with other parts of the world when it comes to our own self-interest, but also maybe what responsibilities are there from a humanitarian standpoint yeah. to, you know, try to kind of, you know, keep the world a nice place. Um, so I think there are two interesting sides to this equation. Yeah. And you're assuming that I care about other That's people true. in other right. countries. Right. Yeah. But I, no, I firmly believe that there's a, a really a good and enlightened approach that says it is in our national interest mm -hmm. to push human rights because in the long run that will come back to help us and if we ignore human rights we'll we'll get the the backdraft and you one. see what happens when an area is destabilized i mean the whole argument everybody seems to agree that all of the chaos in in syria and iraq is is what has made for a group like you know isis to be able to be become so powerful yeah exactly and at the same time uh i think there are other situations we can look at i can't wait to talk about this but um where sometimes too much involvement in other countries can be a negative thing as mm -hmm. well so i think that's a, a double-edged sword for sure where do you yeah. find that line right yeah. um man this is gonna be great to talk about let's take a quick break we're hanging out with fred shepherd he is a political science professor from stanford also dr mark westfall resident psychiatrist here on the show we're talking about international relationships what are we going to do? We're going to make it? We're going to make it. <laughs> One of my favorites. hope we are. Colbert last night. I never watched anything live, but this morning a listener actually sent it in. And I watched his monologue, and he said, all right, I'm TiVoing democracy. Please, nobody tell me how it ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just because mm. you never know. Mm. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Mark Westfall, and also Fred Shepard. He's a political science professor from Samford. Am I saying that right? Are you the head, did I hear you say, or the chair of... I'm the chair of a huge four-person department. Nice. Huge. Wow. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Huge. Right. huge. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Uh, this is very interesting. Nice. We're talking about international relationships. Um, and man, there's a lot to talk about with yeah. us. Let's pick up on the nationalism kind of versus, uh, you know, everybody joining hands and trying to work cooperatively. Is there, I mean, is there not some kind of balance that has to be struck? I mean, I mean ideally, it'd be great if everyone played on the same level and work together and the world would be a better place. Yeah. I well, mean, I think, but, I mean, at some point, you have to look after your own interests, right? right. Where's well, the balance? Yeah. Well, and make, make no mistake, um, a leader of a country, especially a democracy, a term that's often used is a fiduciary responsibility. You have that responsibility to your own citizens to put your national interests first. But you can, you can have different f philosophical approaches to how you do that. So on one end of the spectrum would be Donald Trump, um, America first, America first, America first. Uh, maybe on the other end, going back in, in history, it would be, say, Jimmy Carter. And uh, admirable effort to put human rights in, in at the front of our uh, foreign policy. Really worked hard to, to forge great relationships with Latin American countries. Just kind of gave them the Panama Canal. Um, on the other hand, he's known as a failed president and as a great ex-president, but not as a great president. So. In the long run, he looks great, though, because he focused on uh, American uh, on human rights as part of our foreign policy. And I, th I think the correct calculation, that you need to do that, because in, in the long run, it will help our interests. 
Um, and in the short run, if you ignore, but in the short run, if you focus too much on that, it can have great political costs. As as he lost to Ronald Reagan in convincingly uh, uh, to a, an opponent who really pushed a aggressive pursuit of U.S. interests, just and, as Trump is doing. Now you, I think if I read through this, you have a fair amount of expertise in Latin American uh, history and international relations. Give us an example of what something that Jimmy Carter did that we see positive effects from now that we may not even realize are connected. Okay. So there were a bunch of dictatorships in Latin America in the late 70s and the early 80s, and he went in and he empowered folks who were fighting those dictatorships. And those dictatorships ended a lot earlier, and the people pushing the end of those dictatorships looked favorably on the U.S. So you had a whole generation of people who were favorably inclined to the U.S. in some of the largest, um, most advanced Latin American countries. And why is that important to us because, at a very basic level? Yeah, because what we talked about earlier, it's the system, and what happens in Latin America affects us. Um, and sometimes if you just look narrowly and, and short term, you don't notice that as much. But in the long run, absolutely important. We need to work with other countries. And I think President Trump is going to learn that. He'll, he'll, he may learn that the hard way. Boy, and can't that also be such a tricky thing, though, that idea of getting involved with regime change as we've seen more recently? And, of course, there there's no end to the number of stories where we gave people, including Saddam Hussein, weapons that only then wound up being used against us. So that even that, though, like with what Carter did, when it is successful, that's great, but there can be a, a very dangerous downside if you're not careful. Well, there are different ways to do this. Yeah. There are different ways to engage with the world, and you can be unilateral and militaristic about it and kind of not think very much about the interests of the, the countries you're dealing with, invading Iraq, for yeah. instance, or, or you can be um, more long-term and enlightened and genuinely incorporate the people that you're affecting, and that would be sort of the Jimmy Carter model. And it didn't help him in the short run, right. but I think in the long run it helped us around the world. So how do you convince your constituents? I mean, when you mention Jimmy, Jimmy Carter, a lot of people are like, wince. Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, now I'm a fan. I'm from Georgia. I watched him growing up. He was our governor. So. I like peanuts, too. And so. I like peanuts. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, how do you convince your constituents that, hey, th what he, the things he did were very helpful – and yet we were seen as, is there also not a need at times for the leader to appear strong right. uh, for the country because other countries have a different level of negotiation with us? Did we lose, did we lose some negotiation power? Because in my opinion, from a, just purely from a psychological standpoint, Trump's you know, strong point is negotiation. I mean, that's where That's he, what he says, certainly. Well, I mean, th I, think, no. I think that's true. He's a strong negotiator. Now, He's not afraid to lose the lose, you know, big because he thinks he'll get it around the next time. I don't know if we can afford that as a. Does country. that work as okay. a country? Right? Well, I agree. Yeah. But I would say that's that's one of the, I think that's one of the things that got him in office is that he said, "Look, I'm going to come in. I'm going to fix these deals. We're getting beat up by other, you know, other countries aren't essentially playing by the rules. For example, with trade, and he said they're not playing by the rules. We're going to renegotiate and make it more favorable to us. And people like that. Yeah. So help us with that. What help us with the trade? Yeah, I mean, how do you make equal trade with countries that have such unequal um, you know, standard of living mm -hmm. and resources? Can I can I go back to the negotiating All thing, though? Yeah, sure. I mean, he's already alienated allies in uh, arguably our most important one, the South, Mexico, 
and Australia. Why would you alienate Australia? And he's already gotten them angry. I don't think his model for negotiations is going to work that well at the uh, at the um, at the global level, especially with with difficult and um, potentially catastrophic sort of guns and ammo type stuff. Temperamental people out yeah, there. Yeah, and, and people yeah. who who have to defend their own national interest as well and are not going to back down. Um, but economics might be a little different. Um, you know, you're asking about trade and all that, and that will be interesting to see if uh, President Trump can check his ego at the door a little bit, use his aggressive and maybe effective negotiating skills to form better deals. And it's, it's interesting, too, if, you know, he part of his profile in the election was sticking up for American workers. Now, I've been a little bit dismayed as he's pushed a lot of policies that are, are worker-unfriendly. Um, it'll be interesting, though, to see with these international economic negotiations if he genuinely pushes policies and agreements that will help American workers. And that, you know, talking about American jobs and him running on that being what a, a big part of his platform, that was the one thing I think that I really understood from him. It was one thing, it's like, I, I get this. Like, I understand that there are a lot of people in a lot of communities that are out of work and this isn't a great time for them. Uh, even though overall, it seemed like the country was actually up as far as, you know, unemployment was down. Um, but I understand that anyone who's out of a job or struggling, that's they could cling on to that. But I am really curious about a global economy versa, versus just trying to make everything run out of the United States and then implementing these huge taxes on other, you know, on imports that yeah. haven't been there. So um, I do want to get into that. But, but you know, I make no... Yeah, I don't beat around the bush as far as the way I feel about the current administration. I don't like it. Um, but with that said, you're against it. Yeah, but that was the yeah. one thing that I really did understand in the whole. So I'll be interested to, to hear your take on that. We're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall as we do once a month. You can find these segments online where you find podcasts under the podcast Let's Think On It. Fred Shepard is here as well. He's a political science professor from Sanford. We're talking about international relationships all across the board, so from political to diplomatic, um, so on and so forth. Of course, with the new administration, people are really wondering, oh my gosh, because he's, he's flipping the board on us. I mean, he's really wanting to go against what we've been trying to do for a while, and a lot of people say that's a really good thing. Um, I'm curious, so glad to have Fred Shepard here to talk about it and Mark Westfall to keep us in line. Well, I'm glad to have Fred here, too, because this is a topic that, you know, I don't know a lot about. But I thought it would be interesting for the listeners because it, it's, it's so fascinating, and it's such a clear change, as you just said, of trajectory from where we were going with international mm -hmm. relations. I mean, it's pretty clear that it's much more nationalistic. And my minimal knowledge of the whole global political system is that we're not the only place where that's occurring. Um, the whole Brexit, I learned some of this from you before. I feel like mm -hmm. I'm taking the political science class, which is fun. I didn't know political science was fun, by the way. Barrel of laughs. Well, <laughs> it's fascinating. I didn't realize how much psychology was to it. Right. There's a lot of dynamics. Um, anyway, so the whole Brexit thing is very analogous because they're pulling back from the European Union, right, the group of European nations that were together, and they said, hey, we want out of that because we want more uh, – control over our decision about borders is very much what yeah. we're concerned about right yep. and about trade i mean it's very similar to the position we're kind of taking so it's not just a trump phenomenon there's really seems to be a national thing going on now i mean i mean a, a global thing going on now with 
this pullback to nationalism. Is, is that accurate? Is that a is yeah. it seen in other realms besides just us? Well, and, and it's interesting with us what's going to happen because you, you've got Trump winning the presidency. You have the Republicans in power. There's a big faction of the Republicans that want to have nothing to do with protectionism, kind of the establishment, pro-business. They're push. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in this country because, you know, and, and Trump's not done that great pushing his agenda so far. And you can see the Republicans are waiting to pounce on some issues that are very different from what what Trump has pushed. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you had EU, US, maybe six years ago, moving in the direction of free trade, um, pulling borders down, uh, more and more cooperation economically. And that's there's been a shift in the last year or two on that issue. And I feel like part of what we're missing, I think maybe Will was gonna touch on this earlier, is that for all this talk about jobs going overseas, you know, let's not forget about jobs being lost to technology because yeah. that's not going to be an easy fix that has anything to do with international relations. That's going to be just, uh-oh. Yeah, and a lot of the jobs that people were frustrated that they were losing and stuff are jobs involving energy, which the climate, no pun intended, of the energy yeah. is changing. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? We're, they're, for was. a good reason. Right, it was. Right, yeah. um, but seemingly for a good reason. Like, you really need to focus more on clean energy. So uh, that was one of those I was like, what do you do about that? Because those people need to find a new line of work. What you do is you get ahead of the curve. I, I grew up in, in Michigan, and I saw what happened. You know, I grew up in Ann Arbor, so we were a little cushioned from that in a college town. But I saw what happened when we got behind the curve in the auto industry. We were still building these humongous yachts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there yeah. were massive cars. And all those, all the, all the people associated with, with that industry, just a huge chunk of them lost their jobs because we weren't ahead of the curve. Um, we, if we push, you know, same old fossil fuels, um, same old manufacturing, um, we're going we're gonna to lose. What we need to do is get ahead of the curve on this with alternate energy things and, and that and high-tech stuff, stuff that where you need a really highly educated workforce. Um, and if we're not careful, if we don't look ahead, we'll be kind of on the butt end of that instead and of benefiting from it. I think I know that a global economy is a good thing, but I don't. But tell us why. Why is that a good thing? Well, I don't think it's automatically a good thing. I think if it's a it's a fair and a just economy, and you have a, an, a global economy that's lifting everyone up, then it's a good thing. On the other hand, if you have this sort of race to the bottom, where you have companies. Power, where we have companies looking for the the easiest fix and ch- cheapest wages and fewest environmental restrictions, that's not a good thing. But if you have a kind of the, the political establishments of the powerful countries pushing for 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 genuinely fair trade and for uh, positive interactions that lift everyone up, then it's a great thing. You know, and this is I apologize because I know this is about to be a little bit off topic with the international idea, but I think it relates to what we're talking about here just a touch when we think about renewable energy and all of that. I'd be curious real quickly to hear your thoughts on, you know, I, I feel concerned a lot of times that, hey, we are becoming a plutocracy that these huge, you know, uh, lobbies that are, you know, and, and oil is very entrenched. Our whole country works that way. And it seems like, gosh, it's going to be hard to convince these really wealthy people who put our leaders into positions of power to switch directions. Yeah. On both sides. Yeah, on, bo- on any, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and one of the great kind of 
semi-tragedies with the Democratic Party was that they did not get that message across. Yeah. Bernie Sanders was sort of doing that. Mm-hmm. But then you've got, you know, uh, I think actually Rex Tillerson will probably be one of the better appointments that Trump makes, but he embodies what you just talked about. Right. The very, very tight relations between, well, generally powerful economic actors and the government, but also especially the oil industry. And healthcare is the same way. I mean, that's a huge lobby, the amount of money that is entrenched. And they're making a ton of money. So it's not really in their interest to change the system in a way that is more beneficial to citizens at large. So those are some of my concerns. And of course, some of those things also, the climate, I mean, heck, that is, I guess, about international relations, because what we do here and what they do in China affects everybody, especially small islands. And the really powerful lobbying organizations that have made climate change seem like a controversial issue. They've been really successful at making it seem that way when it's not. Right. I mean, anyone who knows what's happening knows this is a really important problem, and it's a national security problem. Yeah. No, I heard a radio host yesterday on a different station that he he said, we're all crazy and just trying to raise gas prices. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and look, look what happened to gas prices under eight years of democratic rule. Yeah. They went down dramatically. Right. Yeah. Mm. All right. So back to the international kind of where governments are going, this whole, you know, move to nationalism. I did a very brief kind of overview. Uh, this is very dangerous because I'm not a political science person. But for the li- average listener out there, uh, I'm one of you uh, when it comes to international science, international politics. Um, I kind of looked at the history of trade. And so it seems to me, and you'll tell me if I'm wrong on this, but a brief timeline. So World War II, mm-hmm. after World War II, some countries got together and said, you know, uh, it may be better if we try to work together because building up to World War II, there was this kind of nationalism because everyone was hurting after the, the Depression and we were trying to take care of ourselves. This was like everybody fend for yourself kind of thing, at least my understanding. Yep. So after World War II, they said, hey, you know what? Maybe we should work together so this doesn't happen again. We don't start taking over countries from each other. And so they started the GATT, yep. which is a uh, what general agreement on tariffs, tariffs and, tariffs and trade. trades. Yep. Mm-hmm. In 1948, lasted till 95, mm-hmm. when the World Trade Organization started in 95. Really hadn't been that long ago. Yep. And so they started to put in, try to put in place some orderliness to making agreements, even if it's just two countries talking to each other. There were some guidelines that they go by and some ways that if it doesn't go right, you have, uh, if you go by the WTO guidelines, there's a way to say, hey, you're not doing it right. And so it's kind of the WTO, it's kind of like a referee almost. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so uh, that- You can claim WTF hey, if someone has, that? Uh, yeah, that's right. WTF, yeah. WTO. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where we've been moving to. Right. And now, yep. 2017, we're saying, you know, right. not sure it's being, I mean, some of the bigger countries, wealthy countries, us, Britain, are saying, wait a minute. This doesn't seem to be very fair because some of the countries who have, uh, you know, cheaper wages are are getting a lot of our jobs. So our, our, a lot of our constituents aren't happy with us because these trade things we're moving towards. Yeah, they may be good for a global world, but some people are hurting from it. And then they then they kind of talk to those constituents and build up kind of a an anti-trade sentiment. And here we are. Is that? That's my, you know, very uneducated overview. Yeah, How on, does it go? On one level, there's a very, very coherent critique of free trade. Um, and that a, a certain kind of free trade um, uh, nails the most vulnerable people within a society. So, for instance, the North American Free Trade Agreement, the groups that really got hurt most were Mexican farmers and industrial workers in the United States. Lots of other people benefited from cheaper products, 
Um, the companies benefited tremendously because they could move to Mexico or, or, or whatever. But the most vulnerable, vulnerable groups, and in fact, that's, that's linked to um, immigration from Mexico. Those farmers that, that, that were victimized by NAFTA, mm. a lot of them ended up coming into the United States. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's, a, so it's a certain kind of free trade that absolutely is subject to this critique. Trump's critique, though, is sort of incomplete because he and the Republican Party are probably not going to push for uh, better environmental standards, for better labor rights, for better wages for workers. They're just, it's not in his, in his agenda or his platform, and it's certainly not in the platform of the Republican Party. Um, it is interesting, you, you talked about uh, uh, um, the, the GATT system and all that. What's really remarkable about the move toward free trade was the European countries basically giving up a lot of their sovereignty for free trade. In the wake after of, World War II, after World War II, because they saw the absolutely devastating consequences of countries turning inward. Now, I'm not one that likes the Trump Hitler comparison. Yeah. I think it's it's a not not a helpful thing. It's not very accurate. Um, but on the other hand, the idea of turning inward um, in a in a comprehensive way and pushing nationalism um, that can be a little worrisome. You know, it's funny. This reminds me a little bit. Um, I'm, my wife and I started last night the uh, PBS uh, program, American Experience, and particularly we're watching the one about the Oklahoma City bombing. And, you know, once again, all of these white nationalists, that's what they do is they retreat and have this isolationist. It just doesn't seem like a healthy outlook on how to interact in general. Yeah, and that actually I think will take us into the next segment when we come back. I want to talk about xenophobia. Uh, as okay. well as that and kind of how all of this is affected. We're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall. All these segments that we do, can find them online under podcast, wherever you find podcasts. Let's think on it. Also, Fred Shepard is here. He's a political science professor from Sanford. Um, all right, we have another segment, and this one's going to be fun. We're going to get into some of the, the real controversies. No boy. Read, um, before we went to break... Tell everybody again what you were what you were asking. Yeah, my wife and I started last night the American Experience uh, program on PBS, specifically the one about the Oklahoma City bombing. And I was noting that when you think about isolationism, um, that reminded me immediately of all of the Aryan Nation people and the way they all retreated to Idaho. And, and you know, this whole kind of like don't tread on me mentality, um, which... I get on the one hand, I mean, people want to be free to live the way they want to live, but also it just doesn't seem like a very well-adjusted position. And that's what worries me sometimes, you know, or sometimes about this, you know, America first idea that makes you also think of, you know, Lindbergh and some unfortunate, you know, positions we've seen in the past. Um, so I'm just kind of curious to, to get into that. And Will, you mentioned, you know, the, the idea of, you know, are we, are we becoming more xenophobic and and is our xenophobia based on on rationality you know um these these are concerns that i have and and certainly relates to international relations so yeah well i I think uh xenophobia is just there right and it's usually not rational um but uh yeah um we we were traumatized as a nation by 9-11 sure no question it was unprecedented um uh, it was it was such a, a grotesque thing. So many people died, and it was so firmly etched in our mind that, of course, that that is is sort of a, a collective experience we all had together. Um, on the other hand, it shouldn't distract from the fact that there's this very very potent and really threatening um, sort of extremist 
tradition within our boundaries. Um, and it's not something that Donald Trump has focused on. He's focused on immigration, focused on threats from the Middle East. One of his very first things, he ran out not, not very well. Mm-hmm. And his uh, Homeland Security uh, head was kind of apologizing for how it was done. Um, but he's chosen to focus on that. He's chosen to focus on uh, protecting the borders. And that plays into the xenophobic thing. And the idea of focusing on you know, a traditionally traditional-looking group of w- white people in the United States just doesn't resonate as much. But I, I, I would argue that the greater threat, the greater threat from so-called terrorism, mm-hmm. which is a difficult word to define, uh, the greater threat from terrorism is from internal. Uh, and it's funny. Yeah. Isn't that kind no. of sorry? Isn't that kind of the success of terrorism is to get people acting in a frightened. Manner and yeah. and making decisions that they normally wouldn't make. Based I mean, so on fear. I mean, that's kind of yeah. what terrorism is: is it, it puts people in a state of fear, and then they start behaving less rationally than they would, or in a manner differently than they would. And you can see uh, where people are starting to pit against each other, uh, and that's kind of the whole point of terrorism: is it get people divided, nations divided, or people within a nation divided against itself, and then you lose your strength that way. So, I mean, the yeah. whole union of the European Union and I mean they're they're really struggling over there with this whole unification thing and we to me I I kind of this may be a wrong analogy but you know I kind of think of us as a large entity kind of like the European Union and we're struggling within our union you know we're kind of like the United States and they're the union of European countries and both unions are struggling with internal differences on how to deal with this terror so to speak so and and it's really unfortunate for the u.s because you know you can exaggerate this but we have this tradition of being relatively effective at eventually absorbing uh different groups into our Mm -hmm. melting pot and yeah that's that's exaggerated sometimes and and we give ourselves too much credit sometimes but really there's there's a decent record in that regard and some of that stuff is just going out the window now and it's 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 a real shame because then you sort of fulf- uh, there's a self-fulfilling prophecy there of not treating groups well uh, because they they don't feel as comfortable and it spirals in that way yeah. Yeah. it's interesting that you say it's going out the window so you you feel like it is definitely on its way out not potentially going no. but it, it is I, I i think we're 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 taking a step backward um i i'm confident that in the long run things will work out I, you already see some of the resistance to some of the the worst parts of the Trump agenda. And you see him either having to back off or realizing he can't just unilaterally push things through. And that's one of the good features of our political system. It's so decentralized. There's so many obstacles to someone pushing through something that uh, he's at least going to get slowed down. You know, that was a, there was a great uh, From piece that went around uh, called How to Build an Autocracy. And one of the points that I think he made that was interesting was, you know, hey, we have checks and balances and he can be stopped if people will exercise if can we count on congress to to step up and do their job and to you know to check that power um and and hopefully we can certainly right now with the judiciary we're seeing we're seeing that work um and that that is a good you know that's a great thing about our political system yeah i wouldn't hold my breath on congress right but on the other hand you had a bush a, a george w bush appointee a probably a conservative republican when he was appointed who's kind of stood up and done the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I spent time when I was younger, like 20-ish, until I was maybe 24, 25, touring with a band um, 
the, for the most part, I mean, I was on the road a lot being the only heterosexual person there, right? <laughs> and that was like such an education for those years and traveling around and meeting all these people and spending time uh, to where now, like I just, I, don't get me wrong, I had nothing against homosexuals growing up. Our parents are very loving people and all that. But um, that just really made me like, I wear it as this badge of honor now. Like I, I want to stand up for equal rights, right? Um, also, Reed and I, are friends with some people that came here for, through their family, some of them mm -hmm. illegally from Mexico. Uh, we had a, a guy that was a 16, 17 year old. And of course now Reed and I went to his wedding and we're friends with them and his whole family. Um, I think being around people from different countries and of different lifestyles and just in general different from you is a good thing. So that's why I brought up the xenophobia because if we really just shut it off and we're like, nope, 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 we're not going to associate with these other countries, even just as a nation, like, uh, -uh this is kind of, we're the, we're the nation that we're going to deal with, not these other nations. I think that only hurts, right. you know, it only promotes xenophobia. And I think on the one hand, you could see how this, these different groups interacting with each other in the short run could really lead to some of these problems. But in some ways, you know, we've been talking about globalization. Well, we've been globalized within our boundaries in mm -hmm. a good way. It's helped us economically, and it's really helped us culturally. Heck, I, I, it helped us in terms of the food we eat. Right. I think that's outstanding. It's just a, made my life a whole lot better in that one little way, which to me is a symbol of how we've become globalized, and it's made us much better, a much better country and much better people within the country. Um, so that's really an international dynamic. And in the short run, it can bring on some tensions, no question about it. But I think in the long run, it's going to happen, and... Hopefully our political system deals with it effectively and we all benefit from it. Yeah. So I've got a uh, question in a different direction. Back to some of the things we were talking about earlier, um, the different contrast between uh, Trump and a Carter and the style of being a really strong you know, negotiator versus someone who's really pushing less strong in negotiation but is very playing the long role of we've got to work on human rights to elevate mm -hmm. the whole globe. Is it possible that some relationships with countries, some countries need one approach and other countries uh, other countries need another approach? As far as, I mean, I mean, should we, when we interact, let's say, with someone like Putin and Russia, one level of diplomacy may work differently than working with a country like Egypt or yeah. Mexico? You know, so I mean, I'm assuming you can't have the same approach to every country because countries to me are like people yeah. you can't uh, I, I can't talk the same way to different people I take into account their personalities and I try to try to find a common place with them so that they we can get on the same page I'm, I, I behave differently based on who I'm talking to mm -hmm. and so it seems yeah. to me that different leaders may have different strengths with different parts of the world is that yeah and, and there's there's no there's a first example there's a, a tradition since um, this the Civil War in the in the former Yugoslavia of so-called human rights hawks, um, people that think you should be very aggressive in responding to, say, cases of genocide. And this comes from probably from the left side of the political spectrum. Um, uh, Obama's uh, ambassador to the UN is a woman named Samantha Power who made her name writing about the failure of the US to react. So you do, you do need to have strong reactions to these type of things. Now, what you're reacting to is, is really important. And while we were um, mobilizing all these resources for um, uh, overthrowing Saddam Hussein and getting him, getting him out of uh, Iraq, we were ignoring 
basically ignoring the genocide in Sudan and Darfur. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a yeah, you can be aggressive and you can take these stances, but hopefully it's, it's a principled stance that takes into consideration the uh, wishes of other people around the world and that works with those people. Um, and it is aggressive, no question about it but it's for a different set of purposes, and it's done in a different way. And it feels disingenuous sometimes when we only seem interested in acting um, when it when it comes also with a financial, you know, like an oil-based claim right. for us. Right. And, yep. you know, Rwanda doesn't offer that, and Darfur doesn't offer that. Right. And so it kind of makes it doubly bad when you claim that, when you're like, come on. Yep. Like, we don't really believe that. And we have some friends right now that are in the Cancun area and no. boy, it looks beautiful. So I want to keep relations as we good will. as we can yeah. with Mexico because yeah. I, I plan on making a trip down there. <laughs> yeah, but, at, but basically, I think Trump's approval <clears throat> approval ratings in Mexico are about one percent. Oh, so know. they're better than here, huh? That's <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, they don't like him so much yeah, right and, now. And so, I mean, you, you've got to have a constructive relationship. And that right. Mexico might be the kind of country where you just can't be aggressive and you can't be unilateral. Right. There may be other cases, but I would say still, you'd still want to tie it to a principled, not completely self-centered approach yeah. to international relations. Yeah. Dr. Mark Westfall, always a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Of course. Thanks, thanks, thanks Fred. Here. Yeah, Fred yeah. Shepard from Sanford. Great knowledge. Mm -hmm. My University. pleasure. Imparted. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio, 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com, or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter at Lockamy Brothers. <laughs>